chapter 1, verse 26, one more time. Let's look at it and let's stand together, can we? Let's, and I'm going to talk to you today about the fear of public opinion. The fear of public opinion, the fear of what other people think about you. Everybody experiences it. Let's look at what Mary had to deal with when the angel came and said to her, you're going to bear the Christ child. Let's look at it. All right, it says in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel. That's only one of two angels named in the Bible. Michael, Gabriel. So God sent his best to tell her this. Sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, read it with me, everybody. Do not be afraid. Now, I want you to look at your neighbor and don't look at me and say it. I see you. Look at your neighbor and tell them, don't be afraid. I want you guys and gals to preach a little bit today. Don't be afraid because God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He certainly has not given you a spirit of the fear of man. Now, you will be with child, said the angel, and, you, and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts and set us free from the fear of public opinion. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, in the last few weeks, we've seen that Mary faced four fears. I'm getting a little bit of feedback, TJ. It's kind of up here. We've seen that Mary faced four fears following the angelic visit from Gabriel. Now, here's what they were, and we've talked about it in the last three weeks. This is the fourth and final message on this. The first thing, the fear of the supernatural. She was terrified when the angel appeared. A lot of people are afraid of having an encounter with God. Then the fear of inadequacy. Am I going to be able to do this? The answer is not without him. And then the fear of change. A lot of people are afraid of change. She had to deal with that because her life was never going to be the same. And then today, I want to deal with the fear of public opinion. Because this was really real to Mary. God's pronouncement meant to her bluntly, frankly, bottom line, is that according to the world's viewpoint, she would be pregnant out of wedlock. Now we know that Mary was a pure girl. She was a little teenage girl, probably 14, 15 years old. And suddenly she is told that she's going to be impregnated by God that the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her. And if you don't accept that, you're not saved. If you don't accept that statement, you need a revelation on who Jesus was because he was not a normal man. He was not a normal child. His was not a normal birth. The Bible makes the declaration plainly that Mary was a virgin and the Holy Spirit would overshadow her, and that which was conceived in her would be of the Holy Spirit. But as far as the world was concerned, I guarantee you this flashed through her mind 
the minute she heard, you're going to bear the Christ child. It flashed through her mind that she was going to be pregnant without being married, and she was going to have to face the town gossip. Now today, out of wedlock pregnancies, don't carry the stigma they used to. Did you know there was a time in America when the couple or sometimes the mother-to-be alone were called in front of the entire church to confess and repent? But in the ancient Jewish world, it was even more serious because fornication, which Mary knew would have been assumed in her case, could have led to a public trial. She knew that this was major stuff. God was telling her, you're going to bear a child. You're going to carry a child, and you're not married yet. And so on discovering her pregnancy, Joseph knew about all of this. He knew this would be humiliating for her and even dangerous for her. And so he wanted to spare her because Joseph actually really loved Mary with all of his heart. The Bible says he was considering a private divorce to cover it up, to take care of it, to remove himself from the situation. It says in Matthew 1 verse 19, being a good man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, which is what love will do, church. Love will not disgrace someone publicly. See, he could have been a Pharisee about it and said, hey, she's pregnant. It wasn't by me. Handle, handle her any way you want. But no, love covers a multitude of sins. And if you feel like you've got to go out and tell what somebody did, you need to check your heart. Because love covers, love heals, love restores. Love will not expose to embarrass or humiliate or degrade another person. And so he decided, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, he determined to take care of things quietly to the side. Uh, Mary, let's just call it a day. I don't understand this. This pregnancy of yours is a mystery to me. I know you tell me the Holy Spirit played a part in this, but you know what, Mary? I don't know how to, how to, how to wrap my mind around that, and neither would you. Mary knew when, when the angel Gabriel said to her, you're going to bear a son by the Holy Spirit, she knew that this grim scenario I just described for you was a distinct probability not just a possibility, on hearing Gabriel's words, she had to make a decision. Am I going to go with the will of God or am I going to resist this and fight this and flee from this and run from this? She had a choice to make. Now, think with me for a minute. When you think about Mary's situation, her decision to embrace God's will and carry the Christ child is very similar. Not as major, but similar to a person's decision to embrace God's will and receive Christ into your heart, which is an immaculate conception. The Bible says that you must be born from above. She received a physical child in her womb, but you receive a brand new person on the inside when you come to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, behold, the old has passed away, all has become new. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And so Mary is a type. She's a picture. She's a foreshadowing in a very real sense of what every human being faces when God comes to them and says, if you come to me, that which is conceived in you will be of the Holy Spirit. 
and I'm going to give you a new nature. This is not a New Year's resolution. This is not rehab. This is a brand new creation, a new child born in you. And my point today is this. You're going to have to face the same decision that she did when it comes to public opinion. Do I carry this new life within for everybody to see? Or do I kind of say, well, Lord, I believe in you, but I'm going to stay in the closet. She embraced the probability of negative public opinion. And you know what? So are you going to have to do if you're going to walk with God with all of your heart? And I want to tell you today, church, it's time for every believer to come out of the closet. It's time for every Christian to say, you know what? I've got a brand new child inside of me, a brand new creation. And I'm not ashamed to tell the world that I've had a miracle through Jesus Christ. I am convinced that one of the top reasons people don't come to Jesus is the fear of what other people are going to say about them. We're afraid of going public with our own private miracle of a supernatural rebirth through faith in Christ. We face the same decision she did. Am I going to go with this and am I going to uh, uh, put up with, endure, go through town gossip? My old friends, my old hangouts, my old haunts. Am I going to put up with what they're going to say about me in order to carry this new creation? Am I going to do it? See, we don't want to lose our reputations, whatever that's worth. Let me inform you, you don't have the reputation you think you do. So we're afraid of losing our, our reputation. People worry, you and me both, all the time, about what others are going to think if we gain too much weight or we change our political philosophy and go from liberal to conservative or we don't look a certain way or dress a certain way or live a certain way or act a certain way. See, we like to think we're nonconformists, but every nonconformist conforms to the nonconformists. We think we're being unique. But as soon as we decide we're going to be a nonconformist and not run with the conforming crowd, we conform to the unconforming crowd. And we all look the same, walk the same, talk the same, act the same. And I'm talking to you today about peer pressure. Peer pressure. Now, peer pressure is defined this way. It's any pressure you feel from somebody around you to think or behave in a certain way. And it's your peers. It is the temptation to go with the herd the herd instinct. I got to act like the herd, walk like the herd, talk like the herd. I am not going to stand out from the herd. If they've got stripes, I'm not going to have spots. If they've got spots, I'm not going to have stripes. If they go off a cliff, I'm going with them. It's the herd instinct. And no matter who you are, we all experience peer pressure on one level or another. All of us do every day. This week, you were tempted to not talk about God because of what your peers might think. You were tempted to keep your mouth shut because of what somebody might think or say about you. Or, and some of you just went ahead and said, well, I really don't care. Here goes. And you witnessed anyway. And you found out that it doesn't matter what they think, that it matters what he thinks. But I'm not going to get ahead of myself. But you know the pressure. It's that peer pressure. It's that pressure to conform. That's what political correctness is. Political correctness is the peer pressure to not break out from the herd and say something that God thinks. Say what God's Word says. Most people want to be accepted by their peers. The people they consider their equals, we want to be accepted. 
whether they are friends or co-workers or teammates or neighbors. We want to be accepted by the herd. Starting with childhood up through adulthood, we're all tempted to seek the nod of approval from people whose opinion we care about. And they're all around us. They're in our school. They're at work. They're next door. They're at the bowling alley. They're everywhere. One senior citizen quipped, there's one advantage to being 102. There's no peer pressure. (laughs) And I agree with that. Kathy's grandmother lived to be 103. And (laughs) believe me, there were no peers to pressure her. The bottom line is that everybody wants to be liked, don't we? We all want to be liked. We want to be accepted. We dread the public frown of disapproval, the possibility of being taken off of that all-important party invitation list, of losing favor with the in crowd. We're afraid of them shunning us or the pretty people turning the other way or the who's who's deciding we're no longer cool. you got to get delivered to that spirit of cool. It's a spirit. You know, that Fonzie spirit where you're cool. Let me tell you something. I'd rather be red hot for God than cool for the devil. And uh, peer pressure, let me just inform you, and you adults, you know it, is not just a teenage phenomenon. From high school to the office, we still experience peer pressure. It just changes in type. For example, instead of feeling pressure to go to the wrong kind of party, here's what an adult will do. An adult will go and buy what they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like just to keep up with the Joneses. That's peer pressure. Some of you are in debt today because of peer pressure. You got a car you couldn't afford, so you could drive it down the road, drive it past Starbucks. Listen, my son and I meet at Starbucks pretty often, and I've noticed how... These guys will come by in their hot cars. They get up to Starbucks where everybody's sitting outside. They slow down and they rev it. And what are they saying? I care what you think. I sank money into this car so I could get your nod of approval and and your smile and and your wow. I want to carry the wow factor no matter what it costs me. So me and Jeremy have decided we never look at them. When they come, we just turn the other way. You're not getting it off of us, bub. Or more insidiously, peer pressure can be exerted in the sexual arena of life. If you love me, you will. Or alcohol or drug abuse. And you're there with your peers and somebody breaks out a drug or breaks out the alcohol. And you decide that you cannot resist the pressure of your peers. And I'm here to tell you, as I always do, you never need to try drugs even once. You don't need to stick your hand in a flame even once. You don't need to walk on hot coals even once. You don't need to ever one time, hear me, adult or teenager, to ever experiment with drugs. You're opening a door to the devil. Don't ever do it. Stand against those peers. The minute they break out the drugs... That's when you hear God say, there's the exit door, go to it, run, don't walk, and get out of there because those fools are going down. Our jails, I promise you, I visit them a lot, visited one this week. Our jails and graveyards are filled with people who are lured into the ruin of their lives by peer pressure. If I only hadn't hung around with those people, 
started buddying up with those people. That's when I went bad, the peer pressure. Now, when I look at the life of Mary, I learned some things about peer pressure because here's this little teenage girl. She's a normal human being like you and me. She had peers. She lived in a town where everybody knew her name. Everybody knew Mary. Everybody knew her parents. Everybody, Mary was, was one of not a whole lot of townsfolk. She was known. She had a reputation for purity and godliness. And here comes the angel saying, you're going to be pregnant. Out of wedlock as far as they're concerned. What are you going to do about it, Mary? Now, let me give you some things that I learned from Mary. And I want you to remember these today because we're all going to deal with peer pressure. Every one of us. If you live your life in fear of people's opinion, you will never fully serve God. If you live your life afraid of what people are going to say about you, think about you, you will never fully serve God, I promise you. When I gave my heart to Jesus, I was 18 years old when I got really filled with the Holy Spirit, got really turned on for the Lord, and began to worship Him and seek Him. I had peers around me. They mocked me. They made fun of me. They ridiculed me. They poked fun at me every chance they got. And the first thing I knew I was going to have to do was walk away from the old friends and find new ones. So I took a stand. And I said, I'm going to follow Jesus with all of my heart. I love the Lord. I have found an answer in Jesus Christ. Oh, an answer in Jesus Christ. Sure, Jeff. And one of them actually blew pot smoke in my face. He said, you'll be back. And I said, no, I will not be back. And I never was back. And now that one who blew pot smoke in my face is in eternity. He went one way. I went the other. I did not submit to peer pressure. Let me tell you something about your peers. They're not going to be there when you face God. They're not going to be there when you're judged. When you, you're not, listen, this, this idiocy of, well, when I go to hell, I'll just be with all my friends. You're not going to know anybody in hell. It's too dark to see your friends in hell. You will not see anyone in hell. You'll be alone in hell. You will be separated from God alone in hell. There's no parties in hell. Fool. Wake up! The Bible says that the fear of human opinion is a trap. Trusting in God will protect you from that. Proverbs 29, verse 25. Mary had to make a decision to embrace God's will no matter what it cost her. In the arena of public opinion, she had to make up her mind. And she said, be it unto me according to your will, Lord. There are people so bound to the fear of what other people might think that they never speak their mind. They never take a stand for what is right. They never, they never take a stand for God. They never speak out about what they truly believe in. They, they do not tell others what God has called them to be. They don't live it because they're afraid of what people are going to think. They live in an invisible cage of intimidation. I don't want to live that way. I am not going to live that way. Let me tell you what you do when you get around your peers. Go ahead and just tell them who you are and what you believe in and put it on the table immediately. Get it out. Yep, I'm, I'm a Jesus freak. I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. Jesus is the teacher of my life. He's my philosopher. He's my savior. He's my God. He's my protector. He's my deliverer. When I came to him, he did nothing but set me free and heal me. And so I want you to know where I stand. You tell your first date that. 
And if you don't feel the same way, we don't need to be dating. Get it out on the table. So the first lesson I learned from Mary, to be what God has called you to be, you've got to shake off the shackles of the fear of men. Who cares what they think? I want you to say with me, who cares what they think? Are you ready? One, two, three. Who cares what they think? They go to bed just like you, get up just like you, brush their teeth just like you. Who are they? They're going to die just like you. Who are they? Let's try it again. Who cares what they think? They don't care what you think. Why should you care what they think? Second thing that I see about the fear of man and the life of Mary is if you choose God's will, listen carefully to this, this is a good one, he will handle your critics. If you choose God's will, he will handle your critics. He will handle your critics. When Mary said at the end of Gabriel's visit, be it unto me according to your word, here's what she was saying. She was saying, Lord, I trust you to handle my beloved Joseph. He's not going to understand this, but I trust you. I trust you with the fallout of my walking with God. I trust you to handle Joseph, and I trust you, Lord, to handle all the wagging tongues in this little town. I trust you to handle the gossip. I trust you to handle my critics. I'm casting my lot upon you, and I say, be it unto me according to your word. I want the will of God more than I want the nod of approval from men. I trust you with my reputation. I trust you with the doors that open or close because of what I have decided. I trust you with my future and my family and my friends. I trust you with all of this, Lord. Well, Pastor Jeff, I'm just not real outspoken about my faith. Well, then that's not biblical. I say that with a big smile so my radio people know. What do you mean it's not big? It says you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You're supposed to open up and tell them why you're different. Tell them why you don't go with them after work to the bars. And if you do, get out of there. No good thing happens in bars. And no good thing happens after midnight. Get out of there. Go get filled with the new wine. I trust you, Lord, with my life. I'm deciding for you, and I trust you to handle it. And she left the outcome of her decision to fully walk with God to God. Now, the Bible says that God did just that. He took care of her critics. The Bible records that while Joseph thought on these things, what was he thinking about? My woman is with child, and I had nothing to do with it. And she's telling me it was God. While he's thinking on, how many of you guys will be thinking on these things? Come on, guys. How many of you be thinking on these things? The Bible says, Behold, as he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in his sleep, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and you are going to name him, Joseph, Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And the Bible says not long after that, he simply arose, Joseph rising up from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took unto him his wife, Mary. So having trusted God with the repercussions 
with the fallout of walking in his will for her, God spoke to Mary's most important critic and settled the matter. I'm going to tell you, take a stand for God and God will take a stand for you. You walk with God and God will walk with you. You speak up for him and my heavenly father will speak up for you. You hide him and he'll hide you. You are ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. It's time for us to stand up and speak up and say, you know what? I am a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm not ashamed of it. He saved my soul, and I'm not going to deny him. So lesson number two I find from Mary is always do God's will and leave the fallout with him. Always do God's will and leave the fallout, leave the repercussions with him. He can pick them up. He can pick up the pieces. He can deal with the people. And finally, this may be my favorite when I look at Mary. This is all about Christmas because you know what? Christmas for the Christian is 365 days a year, 24-7. We're just celebrating what we celebrate all year long with a little special fervor, a little few, few more decorations. But this is normal for us. Okay, here's what I see. Mary teaches us that we believers are to live for an audience of one. My dad's favorite Christmas carol was the little drummer boy. We had to play it every Christmas for my dad. He had, it may have been the only song he ever put in his CD in the car. Ra-rum-pa-pum-pum-pum-pum. There it would go. And he loved the little drummer boy. But one day I got those words out and I looked at them as Kathy was sharing a little while ago. It's amazing what's in these words. The Little Drummer Boy was written in the 1950s before America went totally secular. And listen closely to this. Now, the Little Drummer Boy is talking. And here's what he's saying. I'm going to do the parumpa pum pum twice and then I'm going to leave it alone because it's done 21 times. And I would be pom-pommed out if I did 21. But listen to this. The little drummer boy says, Come, they told me. Parumpa pum pum. A newborn king to see. Parumpa pum pum. And then he's told, Our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king. So to honor him when we come. But then the little drummer boy has a confession. He looks at what he does not have. And listen to what he says. Little baby, he says to Jesus, little baby, I'm a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give a king. But shall I play for you on my drum? Shall I play for you? And in the song, Mary nodded. That's good. You may not have a lot to give him, but play for him. So he starts playing. The only thing he had was his gift, his ability, his drum. And says the ox and lamb, they kept time. I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. And here's the response I got. Then he smiled at me, me and my drum. What a profound song. 
You may not have a lot of money. You may not have a great name. But God has called you to play your drum for him. God has called you to do the one thing you can do and do it for him. And not only that, but only for him. Uniquely for him. Ultimately for him. Just for him. This little drummer boy... In his mind, he's got one member in his audience. It's the little baby in the manger. And I hear something here. Lord, I got one life to live. And then I'm coming home. I don't have much to give you, Lord, but one thing I can do, I can play my drum for you, just for you. So when I'm around my peers and... Something comes up where I am pressured to either give in or walk with God. I got to remember, I'm not playing my drum for them. I'm not living my life for them. I'm not going to answer to them. I'm not going to meet them when my heart stops and I go into eternity. I'm playing my drum for him. So I can either have a horizontal view where I live my life out for the praise of men, or I can have a vertical view and say, Lord, from here on out, I play my drum for you. I speak for you. I take a stand for you. I put my feet in lockstep with you. You are my teacher. You are my guide. You are my savior. You are my healer. You are my all. And no one else comes close to measuring up to you. I play my drum for you. You know what will happen? Mary will smile your way. Now, I'm not saying she answers your prayer. She doesn't. The gist of the song is heaven smiles when you play your drum for him. And it happens all throughout every day of every week. This, this week, Kathy and I went to a, a Western store, a huge Western store in Weatherford that was built by our dear friends, George and Jerry Teske's grandson, Michael. Teske's Saddle Shop. There, I just gave him a huge plug. Huge place. Walked in there, and we're just kind of chilling. I'm not thinking about ministering. I'm not thinking about doing I just want to walk around and maybe grab a shirt for stock show Sunday, just kind of looking around, saying hello to the family. And before I know it, this little gal is waiting on me, and I sent something, and I said, uh, well, so how long have you been working here? She says, oh, about a month. And I said, well, what brought you here? And she says, well, and I saw it. I saw a need, and all of a sudden, I'm not alone. And I'm going to tell you my first reaction. I don't feel like talking about this right now. I'm taking a break. I don't want to go into some witnessing scenario right now. I just want to look at shirts. I really don't want to get into it because what if she doesn't agree? And what if I find my... And so uh, this was my first reaction. I'm being honest with you. And then I thought, no, I play my drum for one. And this one is all of a sudden here. So I said, really? Well, why are you here like this? And what, what's happening? Before I knew it, I'm listening to a sad, a tragic story. Beautiful little girl, but so much tragedy at 25 years old, more than you can imagine. Before I knew it, I'm on the phone, getting her a church, talking to her about the Lord, funneling her into a place to go and worship, 
talking to her twice, three times, introduced Kathy to her, introduced the family to her. Before I knew it, the whole time in there had been spent playing my drum for one. And, and <clears throat> that's just the way that it works. See, you're going through your everyday, everyday life, and God eases up and says, now's the time. Well, I don't feel like it. I don't really, I know you don't feel like it, but you're going to as soon as you start. And so you, you, you learn that you don't, you don't play for people. You play for one. Can we stand together? Mary closed it out with saying, Be it unto me, Lord, I'll face the public scrutiny. I'll face the gossip. I'll face the price I'm going to have to pay. As far as my peers, I really choose you. So look what she did in one fell swoop with this angelic visit. She overcame the fear of the supernatural. She overcame the fear of inadequacy. Who is sufficient for this? She overcame the fear of change. No, I'm never going to be the same, but I trust him. She overcame the fear of public opinion. No matter what they say, be it unto me according to thy word. I don't want you to be ashamed of the Lord out there. Do you know how badly they need it? My first thought with that girl, and I'll close with this. My first thought with her was, oh, man, as soon as I say something, she's going to go, uh-oh, I got one of those, and she's going to walk off. But instead, I found a great big need. And that's what's out there. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, you will help us to have a merry Christmas. And, Lord, to shed that fear of public opinion to not be concerned about what they say but concerned about what you say help us to not fall into the trap and the snare of the fear of man now I want you to pray a prayer with me would you if you say Pastor Jeff you know I deal with that fear a lot I deal with the spirit of intimidation a lot would you just lift your hands right to the Lord and say, Lord, set me free from that silly fear. And help me just to come out proudly with the reality of you in my life. <clears throat> Father, I pray you will baptize this church in Holy Ghost boldness. Help us, Lord, no matter <clears throat> whether or not we feel we're worthy. Help us, Lord, just to step out and and minister and reach people and tell the story of Jesus Christ. Help us to be open with it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, Joe. Thank you, Lord.